there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Due to the graphic nature of this case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Oh, 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 Mr. Best, you do live up to your name. The pleasure is all mine, Mary. Um, is this, uh, does this count as a second round? I'm a bit light on cash. Oh, poor chap. I'll find some way for you to make it up to me. <laughs> I'm thrilled to hear that. Oh, just how thrilled. <gasps> Good heavens, who's there? Mary, William, you have to come downstairs. Mr. Hubbard, it's the crack of dawn. What the bloody hell is going on? It's Eliza. What? What happened? I, I, I don't know, but there's blood everywhere. On the morning of May 27th, 1838, London sex worker Mary Glover and her client, William Best, awoke to a loud knock at the door. William Hubbard, the man who owned the house where Mary rented her room, burst inside delivering shocking news. Hubbard lived downstairs with his longtime girlfriend, Eliza Grimwood, and sometime in the dead of night, a vicious killer had taken her life. The slaying later inspired an infamous scene in a Charles Dickens novel. And even today, the murder of Eliza Grimwood remains one of London's most horrific unsolved killings. This is Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case. You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unsolved Murders for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unsolved Murders in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. This is our first episode on the 1838 murder of Eliza Grimwood. This week, we'll learn about Eliza's life in Victorian-era London and the events that led to her tragic murder. Next week, we'll hunt for Eliza's mysterious killer. Eliza Grimwood was, by all accounts, born in 1807, in the small farming town of Stonham Aspel in Suffolk, England. She was the youngest of seven children. Her family was by no means well off, but they made do when the boys came of age and could work side by side with their father, John. Baby Eliza was the apple of everyone's eye. Even in childhood, those around her marveled at her beauty and grace. 
She was the perfect addition to the Grimwoods, and her arrival coincided with an upswing in the family's fortunes. Around 1810, Eliza's father, John, stepped back from his farming career to start a bricklaying business, possibly with one of his successful bricklayer sons. It was a lucrative trade to take part in, and the family was undoubtedly excited at the new opportunities it would bring. Unfortunately, tragedy struck in 1813, and John Grimwood died at the age of 45. Soon afterwards, in 1815, his teenage son Samuel also passed away. We don't know how the two Grimwood men died, but we do know that the loss had a profound impact on their surviving relatives. Eliza's widowed mother Frances did her best to support her family after the losses. She lived frugally and relied on financial support from her older sons to raise her younger daughters and send them to school. But by 1822, the strain was too great. Three of Francis's four sons were married and had families of their own, which meant they were unable to continue supporting their mother. By this point, Eliza was 15, which was practically an adult by the standards of the time. Francis knew it was time for Eliza to earn her keep. Good afternoon. Mother, what's wrong? Love. I'm afraid you're going to have to leave school. I just left school. No, darling. I mean for good. I need help with the house, and I can't keep the bill collectors at bay forever. But what shall I do, Mother? You know the big house, just over the hill? The gentleman who owns it has a daughter. Poor sickly thing needs a maid. A maid? More of a companion, really. Someone to look after her and stay by her side. And that's to be me? We need the money. I know you can do it, Eliza. You already have experience caring for your sister. I wish I didn't have to do this. Oh, it's all right, Mother. At least I'll finally get to visit that great big house. Eliza's new job allowed her to ease her mother's financial burden. And as she soon learned, it came with some romantic intrigue. It wasn't long before sparks flew between Eliza and the older brother of the girl she cared for. Though records of Eliza's life don't mention the young man's name, we'll call him Henry. Oh, pardon me. I've gotten milk all over your trousers. (laughs) No, no, no. Don't apologize. I don't believe we've met. I'm Henry. I'm Eliza. Eliza Grimwood. I've just started working here with your sister. Eliza Grimwood. I suppose I'll be seeing a lot of you then. As long as your father's pleased with my work. We will see to it that he is. Eliza and Henry began a secret love affair, which soon led to an unfortunate outcome. Sometime after they began their fling, Eliza presented Henry with some life-changing news. Eliza? I got your note. Hello, Henry. (laughs) I'm delighted you wanted another rendezvous in the barn, but I would hope you'd show a bit more enthusiasm. Henry, I think I'm with child. Ah. Ah? That's all you've got to say? Uh, No, Eliza, I, I just... People will talk. We need this taken care of. Taken care of? How? Eliza and her paramour decided they had a problem to solve. 
but it wasn't the sort of thing they could resolve in Suffolk. That's why the pair made the hundred-mile journey south toward the metropolis of London. Eliza expected it to be a difficult journey. After all, she was headed far from home with her secret lover to have an abortion. What she didn't expect, however, was Henry's behavior once they got to London. There. That should cover it all. Henry, I'd really rather you hold on to the money. I'm so nervous. I would, but the next coach is leaving for Suffolk within the hour. But our appointment isn't for another two hours. I know, Eliza. You're, you're not coming to the doctor with me? Eliza, if someone saw us together... I have to do this by myself? I know you're more than capable of... Henry, don't you dare walk away from me. Thank you for everything. I'm sorry it had to end like this. Best of luck, love. <laughs> Henry, please, don't leave me. <sighs> Henry abandoned Eliza to take care of the pregnancy on her own. She was a scared farm girl who was far from home and very much alone. At the time, London was the largest city in the world with over 1.5 million inhabitants and its grimy, bustling streets were terrifying to Eliza. She couldn't know that within a decade, almost everyone on those streets would know the name Eliza Grimwood. When we return, we'll cover Eliza's struggle to make a new life for herself in a Victorian London full of dangers and pleasures. And now, back to our story. Eliza Grimwood's move to London in the mid-1820s brought upon a scary time for the young woman, but her fortune would soon change. Young miss, I know you don't know me, but your face is far too beautiful to be marred by tears. Why, thank you. I'm sorry. I've just had a difficult few hours. I don't know the city at all, and I've got no place to go. Oh, dear. Well, I've got some place to go. Would you care to join me? But, sir, you're a policeman. Isn't this a bit improper? (laughs) Oh, no! This is a costume! I'm an actor, my dear. My play opens tonight at the Strand Theatre, and I'd love to have that pretty face in the audience. An actor? You know, I've always thought it would be marvelous to spend time with performers. They just seem like such lovely people. (laughs) You clearly are new to the city, but I promise we'll have a laugh or two. You know, I really could use a laugh. Then, my dear, let's get going. The adventure of a lifetime awaits. Eliza was only supposed to be in London for a medical appointment, but once she arrived, she never left. Though she was young and naive, she was also beautiful and skilled at charming men. In the 1800s, women's career options were limited. Perhaps that's why Eliza found her way into one of the few careers that could ensure an undereducated woman's financial stability, sex work. She was far from the only woman to follow that path. Records indicate that there were approximately 3,000 brothels and 9,000 female sex workers in London by the 1830s. Though the women weren't lacking in clientele, society looked down upon them and ignored their struggles. Sex workers were often abused and struggled with issues like disease and substance abuse. 
There was, however, a select group of sex workers in the city who were more fortunate by comparison. Well, these women had their own homes where they entertained men in private and usually found their client base in the upper echelons of society. They were the mistresses of artists, royalty, and public officials, and the police generally turned a blind eye to their activities. Some of them even had boyfriends who managed their careers, though it's likely that these women still lived with fear and uncertainty because of the illegal nature of their profession. Even so, the most successful women could retire around age 30. If they saved their earnings, it was entirely possible for a former sex worker to invest in a local pub or boarding house and live out the rest of her days in stable anonymity. It's unknown exactly how Eliza began her career, but she soon had her eyes on just such a future. Within a few years, she became a consort to several larger-than-life characters in London's social scene. Her first lover was an up-and-coming actor, but she later moved on to a captain in the British Army. There's also a rumor that she spent time with one of London's most infamous burglars and even accompanied him on a few of his robberies before he was arrested. We don't know if Eliza's family knew why she first went to London, but they were definitely dismayed when she ended up living there permanently. Eliza's mother, Frances, worried for her safety with good reason. In the years before that, one of Eliza's older sisters had moved to London, fell in with a bad crowd, and died by suicide. Eliza's brother, Richard, had also moved to the city and developed severe alcoholism. It's likely that her family had hoped Eliza would follow a traditional path, stay at home, marry a nice local man, and live out her days as a doting wife and mother. However, Eliza was anything but traditional. And when she finally settled down, her choice of partner was unusual. William! <laughs> Say, miss, you look familiar. It's me, Eliza. Don't you remember? We'd spend hours playing in the barn at my father's farm. Eliza Grimwood! Why, it's been years! Far too long. William, tell me everything. In 1828, 21-year-old Eliza fell head over heels for a rugged, muscular man named William Hubbard, who happened to be her first cousin on her mother's side. Relationships between cousins were more common back then. And some reports indicate that Eliza and Hubbard were childhood sweethearts, too. We don't know how old Hubbard was, but if that story is true, he was probably in his 20s as well. Hubbard was a bricklayer, just like Eliza's late father. Unfortunately for Eliza, he was also a married man. He'd married a woman named Elizabeth Payne in 1827. But poor Elizabeth was no match for the charms of Eliza Grimwood. Within a few months, Eliza and Hubbard were madly in love. Hubbard kicked his wife Elizabeth out of the house to have Eliza move in instead. It was a scandalous move, but it appears Eliza had no problem with it. Sources say Hubbard was cruel to his ex-wife, and apparently Eliza wasn't any kinder. William Hubbard, you let me in this instant! Elizabeth, must you make such a racket? Poor William's fast asleep. Don't you speak to me like that, you 
you strumpet. <laughs> strumpet? Is that the best you've got? Look, I'm here because, well, because I need money. And how is that my problem? Because that man asleep inside is my husband. We're not even legally separated, and half the money in his account is mine. I'm all alone, and I've practically been living on the streets since he threw me out. And how is that my problem? You truly are a wicked woman if you can't see how hard it is to survive. I survived for years on my own, and I was just a silly little farm girl from Suffolk. I have no doubt you'll manage on your own. Good night, Elizabeth. I'll give William your best. Eliza grew more confident with Hubbard by her side, but there was a fundamental conflict at the center of their relationship. Despite her love for Hubbard, Eliza insisted on continuing her business as a sex worker. Initially, this did not make Hubbard happy. Ah, there she is, the Countess herself. Where have you been? I was out, working. I know it must be an unfamiliar concept. Don't you dare disrespect me, Eliza. I'm your husband and the man of this house. No, William. If you look at our finances, I think you'll realize that I'm the man of the house. All your earnings do is keep you stinking of cheap whiskey. Maybe I need to drown out thoughts of the love of my life getting groped by London's most eligible bachelors. Maybe that's why I drink. William, you drink because you're a drunk. We've been through this before. This is my work. What do you want, a cut of my profits? Yes. Oh. Well, fine, if it'll keep you quiet. I'm glad we agree, my love. I am too. After negotiating, Eliza and Hubbard came to an unusual agreement. She could continue her career as a sex worker as long as Hubbard could pocket part of her earnings. It wasn't unheard of for a sex worker in Victorian London to have a lover who managed her clients and took a cut of her profits. However, in this case, Hubbard was fairly hands-off. That's likely because Eliza was adept at managing her own career, and her wealthy clientele paid handsomely. She always dressed in stylish clothes and fancy jewels, and she soon earned a nickname, the Countess. While no noble blood flowed through her veins, Eliza's impeccable social graces and regal demeanor made her the toast of the town. Even higher-ups in law enforcement would bid her a polite hello at social events. Though Eliza loved a good party, she also shied away from excess. She wasn't known as a big drinker, and apart from spending on the occasional luxury like her gold wristwatch, she was prudent with her money. By the 1830s, Eliza had saved up almost 200 British pounds, which would be about $23,000 in 2020. Though her lover William Hubbard already took his own cut, Eliza still spent her own money to buy him gifts. But their relationship continued to be a complex one. Hubbard briefly left Eliza in 1837 after he fell in love with another woman, but Eliza refused to stand for it. She went over to Hubbard's new love's house and started a physical fight, which left both Hubbard and his lover with bloody faces. But it also led to Hubbard returning home to Eliza. 
Well, frankly, it seems like Hubbard was dead weight next to the self-made and successful Eliza. It's possible she stayed with him because he was the only close family connection she had left. By 1838, Eliza was 31 and had lost touch with her mother, brothers, and sisters. Though they were only 100 miles away, she lived such a vastly different life than them that she cut all ties with her past. Then, around that time, one of Eliza's brothers, who lived back in Suffolk, took a short trip to London for business. By chance, he learned that his long-lost sister Eliza was now a fixture in London's social scene thanks to her beauty, intelligence, and keen business sense. After he learned the exact nature of Eliza's work, her brother wasted no time in tracking her down. The reunion between big brother and baby sister was anything but joyous. His goal was to bring Eliza home and save her reputation. Eliza, you have to put an end to this nonsense. If anyone at home learned about the life you're living... What life, brother? I live with a man who treats me kindly. You know the life I'm talking about, Eliza. How you make your money. This life lets me live in a nice house. It lets me buy whatever I need and put away savings for my future. It brought me friends who call me Countess and treat me like a queen. I am quite happy, thank you. And you won't change my mind. Then I suppose all hope is really lost. Good luck, Eliza. Wait. I'm sorry, you know, for all of this. I never meant to upset anyone. Sorry enough to come home? Mother's 73. She hasn't got much time left. I know. But my life is in London now. I just don't think I'd fit in at home. But I do miss Mother. Well, here's an idea. I'll come visit in the summer. She would love to see you. And I can't wait to see her. Oh, in the meantime, bring her this for me. I almost forgot to give it to you. This tea? It's expensive. Mother will love it. There's a whole pound of it there. Simply the best for our dear mother. See? My life can't be all that bad if it lets me send gifts to the ones I love. You're riding a high horse now, Eliza. But I fear it will all end in tears. Then let them be tears of happiness. Mm. Goodbye, brother. It was a moment of reckoning for Eliza, who was forced to confront the life she'd built for herself. But, much to her brother's frustration, she remained headstrong and confident that only she had control of her destiny. Even so, she did miss her mother, Frances, and was excited to visit her in the coming summer. Unfortunately, it was a summer she would not live to see. Next, we'll cover Eliza's peculiar living situation and the night out on the town that led to her grisly demise. Now, back to the story. By 1838, Eliza Grimwood and William Hubbard found themselves in a living situation that was almost as unique as their relationship. Good morning, Mary. Good morning, Mr. Hubbard. Shall I fix your morning tea? I'd rather wait for Eliza. Has she emerged from her chambers yet, or shall I rouse her? Uh, she's still in there, working. Ah. Well, how about Miss Glover? Perhaps she's up for some tea and a chat. I wouldn't go up there if I were you, 
Mr. Best is visiting. Oh, I see. Well then, Mary, will you have breakfast with me? I'm afraid I've got to run to the market if any of you want supper tonight. Very well then. I'll be in my room. Hubbard and Eliza lived in a three-story house at number 12 Wellington Terrace in Lambeth, a new suburb that had recently turned into an urban hub. While some areas were rife with criminal behavior, Eliza Grimwood's neighbors in Lambeth were average middle-class tradesmen, like bakers, tailors, and plumbers. The ground floor of the house was occupied by Hubbard and Eliza, but they didn't share a bedroom. Eliza had control over a large parlor and bedroom, while Hubbard usually slept in a small bedroom down the hall. Eliza's bedroom was really her workplace, and Hubbard mostly stayed clear of her quarters. Though Hubbard's name was on the property deed, he and Eliza shared the house with a puppy and two other women, both named Mary, incidentally. Mary Fisher was a young housekeeper who definitely earned her keep. Eliza wasn't a fan of domestic tasks, so Fisher made sure to keep the house clean and the kitchen stocked. Mary Glover was a sex worker who'd known Eliza for years and rented out the upstairs bedroom. The two women shared a close bond and enjoyed living and working under the same roof. To add to the confusion, Mary Glover also had a boyfriend whose first name was William, just like Hubbard's. Mary's boyfriend was William Best, a traveling salesman who frequently spent time at the Wellington Court home. Lambeth was relatively quiet, and it was certainly not home to any of the wealthy and influential gentlemen that Eliza spent her time with. In order to find work, she used the Waterloo Bridge to cross the River Thames over to the fancier establishments in central London. Sex workers of Eliza's caliber often met their clients at posh hotels and elegant restaurants. But Eliza was more of a patron of the arts. On work nights, she could usually be found at the Strand Theater. Back in 1838, Eliza's typical work nights would entail dressing up to attend a play, usually accompanied by fellow sex workers. The women would have a few drinks and enjoy themselves until the show ended. Then they would meet their respective paramours in the theater lobby and head out to hotel rooms or their own homes to finish out the night. It was a routine that was safe and comfortable for Eliza, and the night of Friday, May 26, 1838, was supposed to be just another work night. Around 9 p.m., Eliza dressed herself up in a refined, tan-colored dress and a blue hat with a flower attached to it. After bidding a good night to Hubbard, who'd retreated to his room, Eliza took a cab to the Strand Theater. There she met friends and grabbed some prime seats for an evening of theater. Oh dear, is it just me or is this play a bit of a bore? I'm pinching myself just to stay awake. I used to spend time with that leading man back in my younger days. Let's just say when it came to matters in my boudoir, I was the better actress by far. (laughs) (laughs) Eliza, you're an absolute fiend. I'm just being honest, darling. Luckily, I've got better company tonight. Look, up in the private box on the left. Good heavens! Is this your first date? (laughs) Oh no, we've become good friends lately. Mmm, he's a sight for sore eyes. Tell me, is he foreign? He looks foreign. Mmm, well-traveled, 
but I won't say anything more. A lady must keep her secrets, no? But yours are so juicy. About 15 minutes before the end of the show, Eliza pointed out a man in the theater to her friend, claiming he was her next client. The man was a stranger, but he was said to be well-dressed in a dark outfit with a wide-brimmed hat. He wore a raincoat and appeared to be a foreigner by his looks. Though it's hard to discern what that means exactly, he allegedly spoke perfect English, so it's difficult to determine whether this detail was fact or fiction. Eliza and her client were spotted in the lobby before they exited the establishment and hailed a horse-drawn cab. After a night of theater, they were ready to have some alone time in Eliza's private chambers at Wellington Court. The driver who picked them up was named Joseph Spicknell. He was unwittingly a witness to one of the last conversations Eliza would ever have. <laughs> and that's the true tale of how I earned the nickname, The Countess. <laughs> Lizzie, you have more outrageous stories than anyone else I know. Then you should probably meet more exciting people. None could compare. <sighs> oh, oh, driver, you can stop right here, by the pub. Wait just a minute! Sir, the fare! <laughs> Never you mind about my companion. I've got it. Well, well, it's a very modern sort of woman who pays her own way. I'd like to think I am. Thank you for the ride. Oh, and by the way, I've just been dying to tell you. Yes? You have a very nice horse. <laughs> Good night. Joseph Spicknell watched Eliza Grimwood pet his horse's nose, then follow her companion to the dark entryway of her home at number 12 Wellington Court. Just after midnight, Eliza's housekeeper, Mary Fisher, led her back into her home. Mary didn't recognize Eliza's companion as he hurried up to Eliza's room. Eliza, however, stuck around the kitchen for a late-night chat. Ms. Grimwood, is your companion all right? I didn't get a good look at him. Everything's perfect. Is Mr. Hubbard asleep? Yes, hours ago. He had a few drinks and went to his room. Then he'll sleep like the dead. Do you need anything else, Ms. Grimwood? Uh, just some water. Oh, I'll get it myself. Go on up to your room, Mary. Sweet dreams. You as well, Miss Grimwood. After bidding her housekeeper good night, Eliza headed to her chambers. Everyone in the house was going to sleep, but her night was just beginning. Finally! I was beginning to think you'd abandoned me, Lizzie. Now, dear, don't you worry. I'm not going anywhere. The other residents of 12 Wellington Terrace all claimed to have a quiet night of sleep. But the morning of Saturday, May 27th, would be anything but peaceful. William Hubbard awoke at 6 a.m. The bricklayer was preparing for a long day at a construction site, and he wandered down the downstairs hall as he got ready. He noticed a candlestick lying on the ground near the door to Eliza's chambers and decided to check on her. Eliza? Eliza, are you awake? Eliza, love, are you still asleep? 
It was still dark out, so Hubbard couldn't see very well as he approached Eliza's bed. His feet brushed against a large pile of clothing on the floor. At first, he assumed it was just Eliza's dress, discarded after a night of passion. But upon closer inspection, he realized it was actually Eliza, fully clothed and on the floor. Her face was covered by a bedspread hanging off her bed. Oh, Eliza, what a night you must have had. Eliza, wake up! You're on the damn floor! What's all this, then? Oh. Oh, Oh, my God! Though he hadn't seen it in the dark at first, Hubbard soon realized Eliza's floor was covered in blood. In fact, the entire room was. Hubbard didn't stay in the room long enough to see the full extent of Eliza's gruesome injuries. But it was already clear. 31-year-old Eliza Grimwood had been murdered. As Hubbard raced upstairs to get help from Mary Glover and William Best, all he could think about was the horrific sight he had just witnessed. He had no idea that when it came time to investigate the murder of Eliza Grimwood, he would be the police's prime suspect. Join us next week as we learn about the way Eliza was killed, the public's suspicions about Hubbard, and the hunt for the mysterious stranger who murdered the Countess. Thanks again for tuning in to Unsolved Murders. We'll be back on Tuesday with part two of the murder of Eliza Grimwood. For more information on the Eliza Grimwood murder, amongst the many sources we used, we found the book The Ripper of Waterloo Road by Jan Bondesen to be extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Unsolved Murders, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Unsolved Murders on Spotify, just open the app and type Unsolved Murders in the search bar. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Yeah, if we live till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Carrie Murphy with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Freddie Beckley, and Paul Mahler. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Amin Osman with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tom Bauer, Sky King, Harris Markson, Taylor Jackson Ross, and Jen Wong. It stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. 